0: From the west side of Charlotte, North Carolina, this is Here for
1: Good. Here Here for good! good.
0: Here for good! good. A collection of stories and conversations with the kinfolk of QC Family Tree. QC Family
2: Tree. QC Family Tree. QC Family Tree.
0: QC Family Tree. Tree. Listen in as we seek to awaken the popular imagination to new possibilities of abundance and spark social action for the common good. I'm one of the kinfolk. My name is Helms. Helms. In this week's episode, we talk about how to build a community of people raising children to be open minded, compassionate citizens who think globally and act locally. We are raising the next generation of ancestors.
3: Well, now,
1: who are the people in your neighborhood? In your neighborhood.
2: In your neighborhood. Say, who are the people in
4: your neighborhood? The people that you meet
0: each day. Katie Mack Thompson is a veteran political campaigner, nurse, mother, and community organizer. She co-founded Activating Families Across Raleigh, afar, to make civic engagement and progressive activism a family value within everyone's reach. As the daughter of Raleigh's mayor, Nancy McFarlane, the only STEM mayor of the top 50 U.S. cities, Katie is invested in electing champions of science to positions of influence over public policy. She's just recently headed up the Raleigh Kids March for Science.
2: So, my name is Katie Thompson, but I go by Katie Mack, because I have always had that nickname my whole life. So, Um, Katie Mack Thompson, and I live in Raleigh, where I grew up. I am a mom to a three and a half year old girl and wife to Jimmy who plays music and rides motorcycles and is always off on some sort of adventure. I work as a nurse, I have been a cardiac nurse in hospital for about seven years and now I'm going to be a nurse practitioner and I will be taking care of um, old people. I really have a love for walking with people during the last chapter of their life and ultimately will work in hospice and end-of-life care. That is my personal passion. I am a very politically plugged-in person. I happen to be the daughter of the mayor of Raleigh, Nancy McFarland. She has been elected for 12 years, so I have been walking side-by-side with her um, as an elected official for pretty much the entire time I've been in Raleigh. Being the daughter of a leader within the community, I feel like that has directly impacted my perspective on what it means to serve your community. Um, I feel a sense of responsibility to know what's happening around me and to actively participate in influencing um, the people and the policies and the processes and uh, the organizations that are going on around me. I was really proud to serve in AmeriCorps for uh, two years doing HIV/AIDS work in Charlotte. So I was lucky to meet Pregnant House and um, work with them there in the, in the very beginning of the QC Family Tree. And that's me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, and then can you tell me a little bit about Afar and what that is?
2: So, um, AFAR is a collective of families based in Raleigh, and our mission is to make civic engagement and. Um, sorry. Our mission is to make um, civic engagement and progressive activism a family value. So, we are an event based organization. So we provide opportunities for families to come out together and participate in activism. So, whether that's marches, protests, rallies, letter writing campaigns, um, all forms of, of showing up in the streets in a way that is family friendly and uh, safe. And then civic engagement, we want people to know their elected officials, we want people to know how to lobby their government, we want people to understand who is serving them to get to know those people and to participate in campaigns and it help influence who our representatives are. And we are also trying to reclaim this idea of family values in a sort of progressive mindset. So We use hashtag progressive family values because we reject the idea that any one party gets to own that title because what's good for families is what government should be doing and so everybody has family values and think all parties can agree on similar similar things, like we want to have good schools, we want to have clean water, we want to have safe roads to drive on, we want to have safe neighborhoods, we want to have, um, we want the same things. And so we're we're rejecting this idea that family values is somehow this really narrow idea of, of, a, of a, that has to be conservative. So we use family values in our conversation and we're just, we're facilitating opportunities for families to come together in a way that allows parents to have the conversations that they want to have with their kids about whatever it is that they feel like is important within their own family.
0: Hmm. So since you were raised by a civically engaged family um, and then you ended up having a family, is that how you came into this idea or did it come from somewhere else? Is this like a a value that you imagine all people should have, or or do you just have it because you have been civically, politically engaged as the daughter of a mayor?
2: That's a good question. I think, um, you know, knowing who was elected and working on campaigns and participating in that process. Has always been very normal to me. Um, even when I was in middle school, we would phone bank for school board members. And I would work the polls. And my mom would pull me out of school on election day. So that was that was always um, a value in our family. And then in after the November 2016 election, we had so many people. There were so many people around me that were saying, "Gosh, I just really didn't even pay attention to the election. And I didn't volunteer. I didn't." even know that I should be doing that because I just thought it would be fine or I have a kid so I can't do, I can't do that and I was saying, well that's not really an excuse (laughs) because the fact that you have a kid means that you should even more intimately know who is representing you and who's making decisions. So the idea came that we need to facilitate ways for parents to get plugged in because we have such a strong stake in, in knowing who's at the table and that even some of us need to be at the table. Um, we worked really hard to elect a young mom to city council and that was a huge you know, victory for afar and for myself because um, most people that are elected are older and retired and independently wealthy because it's a poorly paid part-time job, at least in Raleigh, it's a part-time job, they make about $12,000 a year. So it's hard to be there. So by the fact that I have seen how, you know, my mom was a, a, a PTA mom and a pharmacist and was not um, necessarily primed for the role, then all of a sudden she was mayor and she's pretty great at it. That shows me that all you really have to have is a passion for something in your community and you too can sit at the decision-making table and have an influence. And I just believe that. Parents need to have a voice because their kids are in the school using our community right here, right now. And we don't need to always be governed by people whose experience of, of having children in the community was 30 years ago.
0: Hmm. So do you believe that the good life or uh, community in which all may flourish is possible given the structures of our government?
2: <laughs> oh. Well, I would have said yes, maybe before (laughs) some of the chaos that's unfolding right now. I I mean, I have to say yes. I have to believe that the role of government is to generate equitable social structure. That's what it's supposed to do. And the patriot in me wants wants to believe, it needs to believe that that is possible. Now it feels like things have been corrupted right now and that, or or maybe the corruption has always been there and it's kind of surfacing. Um, I'm hoping that we're having like a Phoenix moment Mm -hmm. where it's all burning to the ground and we will have the opportunity to rebuild. And I think we are seeing that their candidates for this election are plentiful. First of all, we have people running in almost every single Um, district across the state, so that's new. We have a lot more women, we have a lot more people of color, still don't have enough, but it feels that we've taken a big step towards having a government that is more representative of what the community actually looks like. And I think that's an important step to having uh, institutions that actually serve the people.
0: Mm So when you think about your role as parent or also as not necessarily mentoring these other parents, but by sh- shaping this idea for other families, like what are you putting into place? What lessons are you trying to instill upon the children such that later the, um, we're in this place that you hope for?
2: Um, you know, one of our most specific things that we do directly for kids is a civic kids story hour where we have an elected official or um, community leader come and read a book to kids. So, for example, we had a young woman who is a judge, she's African American, she's 30. She came and read the book She Persisted by Chelsea Clinton, and she was able to talk to kids about how she got to where she was going and tell her own personal story. And and the goal of doing those events is that kids meet people in, in influential positions of leadership and hear a little bit about how they got there and get to know them as a person and as a friend. And so it makes those um, leadership positions feel achievable. So. I would say that we're not in this place where we have like a, a conscious platform of um, a, a conscious like approach to specifically what it is we're trying to teach. We are generating events that bring people together that produce conversations where we can learn from each other. because. A lot of our parents are sort of facing some of the same challenges and the same thoughts and uh, wrestling with the same issues, and so when we're together, we learn from each other. We do have, we call it the the alt book club, because who has time to read a book? (laughs) We read um, journal articles or TED Talks or things like that, and the upcoming one that we're doing is um, about how our duties as citizens overlap with our duties as parents in the context of school choice. And so that's going to be a really interesting conversation because obviously as parents, we all want the best for our kids, but at the same time, we have to be honest about how the decisions we make trickle out into the greater community. So I think that's the crux of what it is we're trying to do is to get people to have that conversation out loud in an honest way with new people, with people that don't look like them, with people that do look like them, and see what kind of solutions we can come to collectively.
1: Hmm.
0: So I went on this, um, it was called a Sankofa tour in Atlanta, and we went to the places that were doing art space, community building, and, um, and we looked back, we went to places that used to be that aren't even there anymore. It's just now it's like a grass or a park, but it used to be a community art-based like uh, organization. And we learned about those places in history and then we learned about what's happening now. And one of the um, leaders of this tour said that as a community-based arts individual that she is raising the next generation of ancestors. And um, this idea that time is fluid and that ancestry is fluid is something that I think is re-rising to the surface. I think it's a a kind of an African spirituality concept that the, the saints or the ancestors are still speaking and moving within this time period, even though they're not physically present. And that also the future ancestors are currently speaking into this time period, even though right now they're like, you know, three and a half year olds. Um, And so this, I, so to me, just in you just talking, you have, not that your mother's an ancestor yet, but like you have an elder, you have yourself, you have your daughter, you have this future ideal that you're hoping for that you're not exactly sure what it looks like yet, but you're moving in a direction of shaping it just by virtue of creating community and relationships with folks and asking the hard questions. And then you've got, like, the ancestry of your family pre-mom and, and pre-what um, you can see. Um, and so I feel like even though you're you are saying we don't really have, like, a strategy or we don't really have a concept of what we're trying to build, but we're just trying to build relationships, that I think that, in a way, just by doing that alone, you are building a world in which you're dreaming for you know like it is existing i mean for for the children to be experiencing a space where there these conversations are being had in front of them and helping them to see um what's possible is in and of itself the kind of world that you're hoping for so it's like it's happening and also you're hoping for it and also it was there to begin with yes yeah i think it's there for sure thank
2: you it's kind to hear that um i do think that we come from this approach of role modeling what we want to see so by taking our kids with us to a protest or to an event they're seeing and we're able to talk to them about why we think it's important with what we're doing and what we do as a family and what we do with our time and it is great to connect it in to what came before us it actually makes me think Maybe it's cheesy, but about Hamilton, (laughs) because um, it is very much a story of our ancestors that is being made relevant, and it is the story of a revolution. It is the story of a sort of overthrow of government and of a a group of people saying that we believe our government, our, our society doesn't have to be the way it's been, and that we can dream and we can imagine a structure that is... Better that is of the people, by the people, for the people, and they did it. And now that story is being retold in a way that is pop culture, pop culture told through hip hop, so that you know more people can relate to it. That it's represented by all people of color, which is amazing. Except for the king, the one white guy, which I just love. In <laughs> um, the you know one of the themes from that song that sticks with me is history has its eyes on you. You know that song, and I very much feel that moment right now that with all of the corruption and things that are happening in the federal government and things that are being unfolded, that this is such a pivotal moment in the the history of of our country that I want to know that I stood up in the best way that I could and that I knew how to organize my immediate surroundings, you know, for, for the greater good. And I feel like I can say that I'm doing that. Mm -hmm. That feels good. Yeah. So what
0: about the, um, you know, there's this term now that people are using called the woke Olympics. Or there's almost like a competition about how to get it right. And if you don't get it right the right way, then um, you're you're, you're you're just under a lot of scrutiny. And so, like, even people who are aiming for the greater good, who are really trying to ask hard questions and trying to think through things, there's still this, like, well, you're still not getting it all the way right. Like, what do you say to yourself when that kind of thing comes into the space? Gosh.
2: Gosh, that is such a good term. I'm glad there is a term for that because I have very much felt that way. You know, we struggle with this because sometimes I look around at our events and I admit that they're kind of a homogenous group of people. And... And sometimes I feel very disappointed by that. And then other times I think, well, within this, this community of, you know, affluent downtown white people, some of the root of the bigger problems in the society are, are living right here. And so awareness and calling out some of those problems amongst ourselves is a very fundamental place to start. Um, Just just because we're basically sharing spaces with people that look different from us doesn't even necessarily mean that we are getting what we need to out of it. So um, I judge myself on this <laughs> a lot. Um, I have to give people credit for trying. I mean, I think it's all a process and you're not going to, you know, wokeness is a journey. We talk about this in our book club a lot, our, you know, Taiwan just join us on the journey to wokeness because it's not like you can read one book and get there. You know, it's not like necessarily anybody is 100% completely there. Um, it's a tangled web. So I always have to give people credit for showing up and for trying and I appreciate when there are leaders that are compassionate about that and able to help continue to teach folks how to take one more step on the journey, and I think if we judge people or come down on them for not being good enough or not being there enough, then we just sort of might kick them off the path, Mm -hmm. and I feel like that happens on social media a lot, and that's very frustrating to me, Um, Maybe that's one of the reasons I sometimes struggle to keep up with the conversation on social media, because... I I just don't always see that it actually reflects what I'm seeing in action around me.
0: Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Well, I think that's why I'm drawn to the idea of, like, awakening the popular imagination to what is possible rather than, like, pointing out what is bad. But I also don't necessarily want to be, like, sunshine and rainbows all the time, Care Bears. You know, like, (laughs) um, I mean, sometimes I want to live into that, but at the same time, that's not real either and so finding the ways to to lean into that without um compromising i think is a tricky place to be like to be gracious and to allow for there to be growth and process and emergence and at the same time having like a firm standing and um and some like clear values yeah yeah right hey that's super tricky Well, are there um, particular uh, songs or poems or art that kind of give you hope or inspire you or books that you're reading?
2: I listen to all the Crooked Media podcasts, which is like Pod Save America, Pod Save the World, Pod Save the People. And I really like to get my news from there instead of NPR these days, uh, because it's intelligent, it's funny, it's um, insightful. And it is still inspirational. You know, they're the guys that worked in the Obama White House, so they understand how the executive branch should run because they were running it. And so it's very helpful for me to understand what's happening in the world through their lens. And um, I have just found them to be like a little bit of a ray of, <laughs> of hope for me because they still do hold on to hope that that we'll get through this and that We'll get back and it will be better and and at the same time they're being very honest about the reality of what's going on so but i listen to other things right now that they're who i'm listening to hmm.
0: i'm not listening to that at all so i'm gonna to have to listen which, which one of those like you name three are they three different podcasts <laughs> yeah
2: so the, the crook, they have, they say my crook or crook media empire mm-hmm. which um, is hilarious but i think pod save america comes out twice a week um Monday nights and Thursday nights, and that's really up-to-date about, you know, what's happening with the news. That's probably my favorite one. Then um, they have Pod Save the World, which is, you know, more about foreign policy and international. They have another one, Love It or Leave It, is more, it's kind of like a wait-wait-don't-tell-me style, like Uh just funny and comedy. And then they actually have one called With Friends Like These, which is really good. It's more about bringing together people kind of, what we would say is opposite sides, and having some of those come. intense or or interesting conversations that are actually conversations and not, you know, pundits yelling at each other. Yeah. So, you might like that one. Okay. With friends like these.
0: Okay. I might check that out. Well, you mentioned Hamilton, so we're not, we don't have to cover the, um, the pop culture. Um, Tell me a little bit about, just for a minute, like, um, your daughter, like, what do you see in her that makes you think, you know what? There, there's like hope yet.
2: <laughs> um, well, Maddie is amazing. She is a very socialized kid. So she like went to a press conference when she was four months old, and she has been to tons of events. And she will, she knows no strangers. I mean, to me, I think that's great. Obviously, we have to be be a little cautious of that. But she will talk to anyone about anything. And she's especially drawn to older people, which makes me very happy. Uh, We had my grandma's 90th birthday recently. And I saw her just go up and sit next to some of the older people were there and just strike up a conversation. And that really melted my heart because I have a soft spot. For older people, I say that's why I'm going prematurely gray, (laughs) because I'm an old soul. Um, But I just love to see that about her. she asks the most amazing questions, and sometimes they're really hard. She's only three and a half, and she'll ask these why questions, or you know, you know, what's this, what's that, or why did this person say that thing, and and it's challenged to answer those questions. Um, I've really enjoyed with her reading um, kind of woke children's books. And I joke sometimes, like, poor kid needs books about something other than feminism and voting <laughs> because I just buy <laughs> so many, or, you know, check out from the library, so many books that are exploring the values that I want her to learn about. And, you know, A is for Activist is one of my favorite books. Um, in, a, in a Santo Nagara are um, A Little Radical by um, Russell is the last name. I can't remember the first name. Books that just talk about being an activist and being involved, or I really love books that explore people in history. The Little Black Leader series is really great, or the Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls is really great. Um, Sometimes she (laughs) kind of gets bored and jumps out and wants to read my little bird. But I love exploring those books with her, and it's really great to see her remember those people and ask questions about them. And um, we include lessons from them and her affirmations. So at night, you know, she'll say, like, I am kind, I am important, or I, I could be a scientist, or I am good at math. And we try to take those affirmations from what we learned about in the person that we were reading about hmm. that day. Um, I just love that process, because I'm learning about these people, too. I mean, I wouldn't say that these were books that were necessarily on my shelf when I was growing up, not by any fault of my parents, but just because they weren't mm-hmm. as prolific, I guess, or as available right. way back then. <laughs> um, but I think literature, and this is a theme that Afar has kind of stuck with, is using books and using um, literature as a way to connect with kids and have these passive conversations about people who are leading and people who have led before us and what things we want to learn from them and carry forward.
0: Right. I like that. Is there any other thing that you want the world to hear from you today? <laughs>
2: you know, in thinking about our questions, I was thinking, you know, why do I love campaigns? Why do I love to participate in campaigns and knowing who is elected? Because that's kind of, a, some people would say maybe an odd or random hobby, <laughs> but, or um, participating in protests also, it's sort of the same thing. And I'm, thinking back to the election of Obama in 2008, and that night like still lives in me as an inspiring feeling. Um, I worked all day at the campaign office, and was up at 4 a.m., worked all day, and then that evening I actually had to go to nursing school clinical, and it was killing me, because right, I wanted to be at the party, I wanted to go celebrate, but I had to go do my job and I was shaving this older man that had a stroke and like watching the news come in on the TV. And I realized like that I did contribute to what's happening out there, but there's a certain degree of just out of my control, out in what's happening in the political sphere. But here I have another human being in front of me that needs my care. And so I was able to shave him and care for him and chill out, calm myself down and get connected with what it is that I am doing with my hands every day. And that is caring for people, old older people, the people
4: who built our community, the people who shaped the institutions, the people who
2: taught me or taught our kids, um, who also cared for our other people and other parents before them, that, that it with, with my own two hands every day that I will care for those people. But then, there's another, you know, the other part of me, the, the the inspired, you know, collective part of me also really does care about the leadership. So you know, I took care of that man, then went out that night, got to the hotel, walked in, they had just announced the, that Obama had won, and it happened to be standing next to Governor Hunt, and he was crying, <laughs> and being in this crowd of people who were crying and hugging strangers and celebrating was just magical and I just kind of wandered around all night and watched the speech with a crowd of a room that looked like what America looked like people I didn't even know were holding, <laughs> holding on to each other and I, I had to scoot out and I was driving down Wilmington Street and Raleigh it was the only car and everybody from say uh, I'm sorry, from Shaw University was just pouring into the street and giving high
0: fives and
2: I was talking, and it was just this elated feeling of of collective celebration, and we'll, um, we'll never recreate the magic, but that feeling sort of lives on with me, and it's the same feeling when you're at a protest, or I imagine when you're lifting your voice in song at church, that you're standing with strangers, but yet friends who feel the same as you and are putting that energy out publicly into the world with their whole heart and maybe some people get that feeling maybe at a concert where you're sharing you know a song or a band that you all love but you're publicly witnessing in community what it is we want to elevate Mm -hmm. and it just doesn't get any better than that yeah you know that's that's what we're here to do so that feeds That energy feeds me, and and I just love it. And I think bringing my daughter to those, and you know, like um, your friend Amanda had that sign, the daughter's that said, "I marched before I walked." Like we're taking our kids with us to feel that energy, and I know that my daughter can feel that because she can go into a crowd and 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 she just jumps right in, and she kind of knows what to do, and she's you know, she's learning that. By osmosis yeah yeah me and i learned that
0: from my parents and um yeah that's really an important image to hold on to i think that's definitely um something that you could come back to and that would bring you hope that it's possible yeah
1: In jail Had no money For the do bill. Bail Keep your eyes On the cries Hold on
4: In the book. The coolest book around, you know it's one of a kind.
0: Look in the book. What's the word this week? During this segment, you'll hear our take on the revised common lectionary and the narrative lectionary text, looking ahead to the worship, preaching, and teaching moments in your congregations.
4: So we have with the Ten Commandments the beginning of God's counter narrative uh, for the way of life that the people are going to live, in contrast to what they experienced under Pharaoh, where they were to work, and they were to work more, they were to make bricks and more bricks, and then they were to make bricks without straw, and there would be no end to their work, and it would always be done in in an exploitative fashion, as part of the pyramid scheme, where the wealth would always flow upwards. And the people who actually did the labor would never receive the benefit of the labor that they were doing. So in the midst of that world, God ruptures it and then provides these kind of counter-narratives and counter-instructions against that sort of economy that destroys uh, neighborly goodness. The commandments then are for the folks there to recognize, uh, not to make for themselves any idols, Uh, but rather to recognize uh, that it is God who has created the world and is God who sustains it and to be protective over what they claim to be God and to be God's work. Of course the center of these commandments and the longest of them all is the remembrance of the Sabbath day. There is this uh, mysterious time that they are to enter into where they will do nothing that resembles work. Instead they will enjoy God's creation, they will rest, they will be in awe and in wonder, but they will not do work. They will not contribute to the the myth that just by working harder, working more, that things will continue to get better.
0: I think it's interesting that the Revised Common Lectionary has basically the Ten Commandments but from the Deuteronomy text, so Deuteronomy chapter 5. So here's a day that the narrative lectionary text and the revised common lectionary text are very similar. That means that the church, a large portion of the church, is all listening to and paying attention to the same text at the same time, which I think would be something worth stating out loud in the service. Why do you think that there are two different texts written down, Craig? Why is there one in Deuteronomy and also one in Exodus?
4: Well I guess it's kind of a refresher. You know, the the unfortunate part of the story is that it doesn't take God's people very long to forget the life giving commandments that God has given.
0: And if you're if you're doing the revised common lectionary and you're and you'd like to read from the Samuel text, the first Samuel chapter three text, here we have Eli whose eyesight had begun to grow dim. That is a metaphor that could be used to talk about how our own eyesight or our own hearing of the Lord's voice and the Lord's calling begins to, or it can begin to grow dim. It's not like an absolute. It's not like you get older and all of a sudden you don't hear from God anymore. But it is a metaphor that you could use to say that we always need to be reminded, we always need to have our eyes open. Because we know kind of the story of Eli eventually is that he and his, his sons, they lost their way and they forgot I mean, this is like the story every time we read any of the stories of the people of faith from the Bible they get it for a little while and then they forget it and then they get it for a little while and they forget it Jesus reveals something and then they have this aha moment oh this is this is him then Jesus has to reveal something else and they're like oh yeah that's right this is him I mean it's the same thing over and over of us always forgetting and thus we need to always and again be reminded and remembering the kingdom to which god calls us. And then there's the second corinthians chapter 4 the part that really stands out to me is when it says persecuted, not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of jesus so that the life of jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. Ooh, life of jesus made visible in our bodies. This is exactly what the commandments are pointing to: is this life in God, this this life that is provided by God, and that that is to be made visible in the community, in the kingdom, in the government in which we embody, and thus also in our actual bodies. And now a word from our neighbors. Amy Cantrell, Adrian Sigmund, and Pancho Bermejo came to QC Family Tree for a Poor People's Campaign training event, and while they were here, we enjoyed breakfast together and talked about some of the values and principles of the campaign. What you're about to hear is a conversation with the four of us at the breakfast table. You'll also hear the TV in the background, and the dog whining and barking in the background as well. I hope that by listening to this, you might be inspired to think more deeply about the ways in which we address poverty and the ways in which we see the people who are poor around us. Like,
3: it sort of drives me crazy when privileged people are like, oh yeah, we're gonna end poverty and it's like, we're gonna, we're gonna legislatively do that, which is really powerful and important but also like you're contributing to it like, right. what is your part in letting go because it, until people let go of privilege you're not going to have that mm-hmm. leveling well and
0: the so i did like the idea of um eradicating plantation capitalism or whatever the, the yeah. plantation economy like that that to me yes. makes more sense because then we're it's a little bit more clear what we're trying to get rid of. Right. Um, we're not trying to get rid of poor people or the fact that people are that there are poor people but we're trying to get rid of this like exploitive economy. That part makes total sense. Yeah. But then you get so, you could in that thinking get so very abstract that individuals don't even recognize that they can do anything about it yeah. on their own. You yeah. Know? yeah. They, they think of it like the 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 uh, weakness of looking at the system is that sometimes people think that the system is this abstract thing that has nothing to do with themselves. Right, right. right. Yeah. And so you have to kind of have well, both ends. Yeah. So I, I yes. get why we're looking at the individualistic kind of view because then you can feel that. Like you know what it, it, it feels like to be poor or you know what it might feel like. You can imagine what it feels like to be poor and you don't want that. Yeah, yeah. But it, that doesn't help. So it's yeah. kind of like a combination of both things. So then thinking about you know, how do we, because I, I do think that the gifts of our community and the abundance that we have is something that's overlooked in all, in all that conversation yeah. because poverty is seen as this, this terrible thing that we need to wipe clean or something. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: But to be poor means that you relate to each other more, you are interdependent and you're not just out for your own. Mm-hmm. You have much
3: more generosity because you know what it's like. And like, what what would it mean for all of us to be able to have purpose mm-hmm. that supports us in our, in our living? And so what we experience on, on a daily, for me, is very meaningful. And the work varies. And sometimes it's like, you know, grunt work. And sometimes it's head work. And sometimes it's heart work. And I get to do all those things. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and every bit of that is dignified because it's about something bigger. Even if I'm scrubbing the toilet, it's still about something bigger. And like, how do, how do we make that sense of like, this is what works about. And we, you know, we live very simply, but we don't suffer in that way. Like, so, so you know, we could, we could create that kind of economy. And that kind
1: of
2: way at work, if we wanted to. And that's that's the shifts so I'm hoping that we get to with this particular campaign, where we say, oh, everybody has the right to, to work. And everybody has the right to a guaranteed income. Or to be part of something. To be part because, of something bigger. Uh, yeah, because a lot of times you only can be part if you know somebody. And yeah, yeah. somebody, you, you can be in one office, if you know
4: the boss of the other office, and yeah. they're going to, because a lot of times it's not that bad. The people that have more knowledge than receive the words is the people that know another person. Mm-hmm. So I think that yeah, like yeah, well, like like you said, like for me make a lot of sense. It's very confused for me that poor people campaign because, like you say, it look like we are the poor people are the problem. Like make a lot of sense only.
2: I guess people that came with the slogans uh, never think then can be like very confused for other people. Because only like the people that are involved in these things understand. The other people, they're gonna think, yeah, the poor people is bad because they are dirty and they are
1: doing this and why they don't work more and yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, to so the the person staying in the house, Dennis. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were talking to them yesterday and and I was like, yeah, we you know we're here for a training for the poor people's campaign and like they literally laughed and they were like. And just like shoved, shrugged it off. And so then this morning when we were talking, they saw the back of punches hoodie, and they're like, "Oh, it's a real thing." Like I thought you were just making a. So even even me saying like we're a part of the poor people's campaign, people were like, "Well, what? Like that doesn't make any sense." Yeah. So, I mean that that to me was like a reminder of what you were saying. Like the wording is very off of of like how like what's actually happening and the way that it's being put out, because I mean, just them laughing was like, they really thought I was just making up some...
3: Well, I think the translation of that, you know, and and can be powerful, it's also like poor people aren't taken seriously, so like, how would poor people like campaign, like what's going on, you know, I think so I think a lot of it is like how we translate and interpret everything, and and there's a lot of that just generally, you know, and, and... and I think some of, the, some of this work that we're doing today is like really powerful in terms of like, like for me, one of the most powerful things is Everybody's Got a Right to Live, mm-hmm. that song. And because, and, and that maybe could have been the name of the campaign, but but that like resonates. Like when, when I taught it in our community, you could see the light coming on like, yeah, I do got a right to live. Like what's up with us that, that, you know, I'm struggling to survive that, that by virtue the, by virtue of the logic of humanity, like everybody has a right to live so that's, right. it was it's like a it just makes sense. and I think I think when you're really trying to captivate the imaginations of people writ large, like you have to have something that has such an innate logic to it.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And I think deep in our bones we know that that we have a right to live and and why you see people that you know, are facing death, really, like, we fight to, like, our bodies fight to, like, and so, and I think our communities know this, you know, over and against gentrification, and all the, all the things that are happening to our community systemically,
0: mm-hmm.
3: you know, whether it's mass incarceration, or, you know, mass communication about, you know, who we are from people that don't know anything about us, you know, all of that stuff, you know, causes us to have to fight to survive, and, and... And I think that's part of the the deep sort of sense of community that we experience with our folks. like we like you say like there's this amazing generosity because we all know we, we all know that that there you know that we can share and that that spreads the gift and it helps people survive and and there's that sense of sort of common connection mm-hmm. that I think we often feel and see you know. And, I, I mean, I've talked to so many people, even recently, that, that have fallen into homelessness and, like, they're kind of shocked of, like, wow, like, this is really amazing what happens here and among people, you know, that are going through this. And I never, like, they just, it, it's sort of mind-blowing because we, we don't know, you know, when we're at a sort of level of privilege, we don't know anything about what, what life is like. right. In right. terms of that. And so both the excruciating difficulty of it and, and the judgment that comes from culture, but also like the flip side of like this community and this shared sense of survival and, and that connection and, and that kind of comes, I think, so so easily with folks most mm-hmm. often. But I think it's like, how do we communicate those things? And, and I just, thought, you know, I just was thinking about right to live because like even, even our four-year-olds, like they got that, like, there's no even like, mommy, what does that mean? Because mm-hmm, I mean, there's right. a lot of right now, there's like, a oh, mommy, what does this mean? But they understand that. Like innately, yeah. they do. Right. And so, like I think they're, that is like an easy one to communicate. And ironically, that's the original, that's one of the original songs from 68. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's Right to Live. Do y'all have a button maker? We don't, Machine but we should, we should definitely do that. I think that would be awesome. It's like if we had buttons that
0: we just passed out so like you have a right to live, or mm-hmm. I have a right to live, one or the other, that would be
1: Really powerful. Cool.
3: Really powerful. It reminds me, like, the, the MLK 50, of course, they, they did I Am off of I Am A Man. Mm-hmm. But it was just I Am this mm-hmm. year. And I was like, that's, you know, that connects, right? Because there's, right. there's that... Of course, it, it it connects biblically and spiritually too. But yeah, right. Like that there's a sense of when we are in our I amness, that is like our our most uh, our deepest identity right. as human beings.
0: Thanks for listening to Here for Good.
2: Here for, Here good. for good. Here for good. Sponsored by. QC family, QC, family QC family Tree. QC Family Tree. QC
3: Family Tree. QC Family Tree. QC Family Tree. Here, Here for, we're good. Good. Here's Here's good. for
1: good. Here for good. Here I was going to say, I don't want to say it anymore. Right <laughs>